Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Madeline. I'm Elise, and this is You Know That's Right, a creative writing club in podcast form. Welcome to the show. Today, me and Elise are going to be talking about world building. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this, I think, is something that a lot of writers struggle with. I know I do. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's, so. It's hard because a lot of people uh, have a lot of opinions about writing, and I see a lot of posts out there that are like, your world building is not complete unless you know exactly how many types of fruit there are in this world and (laughs) i i don't know i don't tend to agree with those sentiments i don't know i think it depends honestly on what kind of story you're going for the vibe if you will the vibe yeah for me it's harder when it's a realistic world i have like several different types of worlds uh written down and the first one I have is like a magic type when you're dealing with magic in your world because I think that's the type I tend to gravitate towards the big one that I'm working on is a magical world yeah same I mean honestly like more fantasy there are elements of magic though it's kind of tricky yeah because you have to come up with all the rules for the magic because one very tricky thing about magic and sci-fi is in order to be believable, it has to have rules yeah. that can't be broken or else stakes don't exist. <laughs> I feel like world building is the entire reason I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Really? So, well, it's more just um, same thing. Like, it's not totally that, but that's one of the prime reasons. It It's tough, and my world building has come a long way it changed a lot Mm. I never had clearly defined magic rules when I was first writing it I just knew that there was magic and it just happened and you didn't question it because it was magic you know right yeah there's also difficulties of working in a realistic story versus a universe that you completely make up for me working in a real world scenario is a lot harder because Mm -hmm. there's certain rules you have to follow scientific historical you know all that i would say that's way harder because i've tried and i don't like it as much (laughs) but yeah um realistic writers historical fiction we respect you props (laughs) (laughs) you're good at what you do um the question i always have i mentioned this a little bit earlier is can you be too specific in your world building? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Well, you were talking about types of fruit earlier. I think types it- of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it can fit in depending on what you're working with. If yeah, fruit that- is, you know, relevant. Yeah, that's but sometimes the whole thing. fruit is not relevant. Um, <laughs> the way you said I would that. say that fruit is not relevant to my story in particular, so I don't really I don't really care about the fruit yes. man. <laughs> I think I think you're right about relevancy. Cause I see a lot of posts that say like you have to 
like, know all this stuff about your world. And, like, yeah, you gotta know a lot of things, even if you don't directly include them, but... Yeah, I think it's good to know things even if you don't include them, for sure. Like, have a document where you just write down a lot of random stuff and it can help you develop other things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it helps you kind of get into the heads of the people who live there. Yeah. And the thing is, like, a lot of readers don't like reading long chunks about world building, like, getting yes! into history and stuff. Yes, And so, which is kind of sad as a writer, because oh. I kind of like doing that. But it's, it can get dry, especially with a modern audience. Like, yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of trouble with that as a reader, with The Inheritance Cycle by oh. Christopher Paolini, uh, however you say his last name. I read the first book. Yeah, I read the first book, loved it. Couldn't get past the second book because there's that whole chunk where he gets into the history of the world. Which is cool conceptually, but it's just hard to read. (laughs) It is very hard to read. What I'm trying to say is that there can be a point where you go overboard Mm -hmm. on describing the details of your plot. I mean, your world. I'm sorry. Uh, Everybody wants to be Tolkien and, you know, come up with your own history and language and be act like you're translating your book from a different mm-hmm. language, which is cool. It's great if you can come up with languages. I, I think a lot of times in fantasy worlds that does come up yeah, and is relevant. I, I have to make up words a lot for my books, and I know people who create whole languages in their stories and it's amazing but I think it can be overdone like we don't need a whole chapter that's unrelated to the plot so that you just learn the alphabet it depends it really depends on what you're going for with your story and personal preference but you do like want to keep your audience in mind too and be like would I want to read this? Would yes. this make me shut my book so that I could go do something else for an hour and then come back to it? Yeah, I definitely think it's, it can be a hard thing. Yeah, it is. It's hard to balance. It really is. Going back to the fruit, um, <laughs> we're, we're going to keep coming back to this. It's going to be the ongoing joke. Food is something that I think gets overlooked a lot of times this in books, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think maybe... Some books don't really need that. I can't um, really say that I overlook food in my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It's I never created my own fruits, but I do, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I say, do value food in my book. <laughs> in my own story, it's supposed to be in a different world. And so, for a while, I was struggling with, do they have the same kinds of animals and plants? And fruit? Yeah, like, does nature work the same way? Is the sky purple? You know, I I toyed with all these ideas. I think in one draft I wrote that the trees were blue and the sky was purple and they only ate berries and... It was just too much. It's a good way to um, <laughs> describe fruit. That way you can develop your fruit very well. Yeah. I'm but... sorry for attacking anyone who really likes writing about fruit. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, I think now I'm kind of on the opposite where I don't think I mention the fruit at all. I mean the food. <laughs> the food. I was like... 
Okay. <laughs> I don't mention food at all in my book right now, and I probably need to get on top of that. So, one of my main characters' mother's owns mother. One. <laughs> let me figure out how to say this for a second. One of my main characters. How? Okay. I the mom of the, one of your there main you go. characters. The mom of one of my main characters owns a bakery. We are writers, which means we cannot articulate speech. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's true. <laughs> Anyways, so that kind of accidentally brought food into my book a lot. <laughs> Mostly yeah. bread. Bread. Everybody. Bread. I, I don't think there's a world where bread doesn't exist. I hope not. That probably is impossible. I hope not. Why did this suddenly become a <laughs> food podcast? Like, <laughs> there's more to world building than food. Uh, uh, we yeah. think. <laughs> we think. Uh, yeah. Okay. Like, government. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> See? Oh, I struggle. <laughs> I struggle. Uh, especially, I think it's something that's really important, figuring out, like, the chain of command in your story and just... What, even if it's not like relevant even if you don't have like a politically themed story where that's like a big element like you still need to know like especially if it's not set in today's world this world you need to know yeah and I think at least I've struggled with this is making my hierarchy believable mm. but by I used to think that if it was not similar to the way our world works, then it's not it's not good. Like if I didn't mm. give the person the proper title, like if I didn't give the government people the titles that we typically associate with a certain level of power, it wasn't believable. But I think I've overcome that. Yeah. I have sort of a concept, um, like a novel that I don't really work on very much, but it's a futuristic and it's it was, I don't know, I still don't really have a set kind of upper hierarchy type thingy. Even though it's important to the story, it's just kind of, yeah, it's hard to figure out. I definitely have figured it out with my other stories, but yeah, that's a struggle. Uh, world building in general is a struggle. It it's is. what we're learning. It's really big. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> just so many elements, and it's hard, like, once you think this thing, it's like, oh, and I have to do this too. I, yeah. You become in danger of creating plot holes if it's underdeveloped and then in danger of oversaturating your story with unnecessary yeah. elements if you overdo it. Yeah, I definitely, um, one thing I did um, with my last rewrite is just um, I did a doc with, like, detail all of my, um, like, towns in, this, in my story. Oh, and, I did that too. Like, the currency, like... Oh, things wow. like exclamations. It wasn't super detailed, but it was things that I didn't use in the book that helped me get the general um, gist of what was going on, and it yeah. definitely helped. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I went from when I first created my world building document. Before this, I only had like one civilization in this whole mm. big world, and then I was like, wait, we need more people. What? Okay, so a long time ago, I know this doesn't. I don't know if this is a rabbit trail or not. Um, I remember Madeline. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I remember she, she had she was working on world building with this draft, and she like was showing me 
um, like, the dock with, you know, her towns and her, like, new, like, civilizations, and all I remember, and I don't think this is a thing now, I, like, it's not, I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly sure, I can't say for sure unless it's in your, like, in your head, but I remember, this is the only thing I remember, I remember in all caps, somewhere it was just written, SAND PEOPLE! Oh, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> and I don't know why I thought that was so funny, right? <laughs> yeah, um, let me explain that I, so before I only had one civilization, and then I started bringing new characters in, and I was like, wait, these, there needs to be more. There can't mm-hmm. just be one town in this whole world that I've created. So I created, and this is still pretty much true, a system of like 10 or so mm-hmm. cities in this world. Um, and they work together. Like, each city is responsible for a different part of the culture like one city is responsible for making technology another is responsible for all this i think my main character lives in the ruling city so like the main government is located in this city um but when i originally was coming up with the idea i i had a document and this is what elise is referring to with (laughs) Each city and the differences and cultures of the cities were much more exaggerated. <laughs> like, it was based on where they were, geography, ge- geographically speaking. And I did have one. I think I had just watched the Star Wars Force Awakens. Oh, nice. And I had fallen in love with Rey. I, don't come for me, listeners. I... I realize that this is an unpopular opinion, but I love Ray, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Um, and I, I liked the her whole scavenger mm-hmm. concept in living in the desert. And you were like sand people. Yeah, not the other kind of sand people in Star Wars, but they're just like people who kind of dressed in like flowy uh, garments, you know, like how people in desert climates dress typically mm-hmm. um and they would somehow i don't know they would like ride the sand <laughs> somehow i i think all of these clans had some sort of magical connection and these guys could like that's, swoosh across the sand that sounds great unless you're anakin <laughs> <laughs> sorry um anyways like i have a similar thing um i have you know, kind of the main city where everything goes on, where the conflict is. And they have a bunch of other cities. My main city is called Pinobit. I made up that name. Oh, is that I how would... you pronounce it? Yes. Okay. How did, how did you think? I always pronounced it in my head, Pinobit. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Interesting. Um, I've, yeah, I definitely had people tell me that that's what they think. Like, that's how they pronounce it in their head. Pinobit sounds much better. Okay. I didn't realize that. Um, that was I would just like I don't remember how I came up with these names because I just smashed random words together, um, and then I have a, another um, similar city, and then there's Amaris, and I have a story about this. Okay. Okay. So um, this is like the um, kind of I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it. It's uh, almost a tribal sort of setting Mm -hmm. it's a city though 
Um, and everyone, it's kind of, I think I kind of accidentally drew inspiration from, like, Sparta. And, like, oh. all, like, the, you know, like, Greek warrior cities where the kids were, like, it's kind of sad because the kids turn, like, a certain age and then they're, like, okay, off to training for war with you. And it's just kind of depressing. Oh. And, uh, anyways, um, I'm going to try not to go on a rabbit trail with that. But, point being, they're, um, kind of a warlike city. And, originally... It was called Weaponarchy. I remember <laughs> that. So here's how this came about. And I wish I had thought about this in the first episode. Because after class one day, um, Madeline and I were like, we came up with a concept. And we were like, do you remember this? Vaguely. So we were like, we were pretending, like, we were pretty young. We were pretending like um, this, like, dark person was going to stifle, like, um, learning and enlightenment. Uh, oh. I don't know if enlightenment is the right word. He was, like, trying to trump. Bring a dark ages. Yeah, that's what it was. And so, um, he was, like, trying to trump learning and art and good things like that. And so, we had, I don't remember, I wish I could find, we had a piece of, piece of parchment paper. And so, we had, like, names. We were, like, representatives from two different cities. I don't remember oh, what they were. Oh, wow. And then we wanted our my brother to play with us. And so, we wrote on this parchment paper, and we enlisted him as the representative of the town of Weaponarchy. Weaponarchy. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And then, like, I think a couple months later, I was like, I'm going to use that my book. <laughs> and so, um, and I did, and then I changed the name later, because I figured that Wafanarchy was, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I also had renaming parts, because, oh yeah, I, originally, all the cities, I had, I derived <clears throat> all my city names from Latin words, which I still use. That is how I come up with my language. Mm-hmm. I look up the Latin word for something, and then I just, like, modify the word until it looks cool enough, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I did that. I took two Latin words for each city, and I shortened them, made them look cool, and then I put an apostrophe between them for every single city. Mutilated Latin for the win. Yeah, I did that with Amaris. I'm pretty sure it was the word for like arms slash weapons, oh. which is why it's called Amaris. I was, um, and I think I used to spell it differently. I think I used to spell it with an A E, but now it's with just an A. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and now I think I went from you'll remember this. The main city was named Loom Vigel. Mm-hmm. It was like L-U-M apostrophe V-I-G-E-L. Yep. And so the I changed it a lot so that it kind of flows better and it looks less ridiculous. Um, And now it's Lumenvel. That, that sounds more normal, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. Um, those of you who know your Latin roots a little bit will recognize that I used... Uh, the Latin word for light to come to for that like lumos or lumen, whatever the word is for light in Latin. You're the Latin expert. What is the word for light? Um, I don't know. I I don't want to mess up the ending, but I know it's lum. Um, 
it's been it's been a it's been a while. Um, I thought you were supposed to be fluent in Latin. I know this is like the easiest word too, but we've it's not a somehow it's not a vocab word for us. But I don't know the ending. I um, just remember in Harry Potter the spell to make light appear at the end of your wand was lumos, and then the word to turn it off was nox. Now <laughs> I'm like determined. This is this is not okay. You you have a book. Yeah. Oh wow. On my handy dandy Latin index. Um. Why am I? Okay. It's Luke's Lucis. Lucis. Yeah. So this is. These are two different endings. Oh, Lux. Yeah. Yeah, Lux. I don't know. Um, Lux or Lux. Yeah. And. Oh. And then um, this is this is a different word for like lumen. And then luminous. I think luminous. lumen was the word yeah. that I got. Because mine you have different from. And then that one's neuter. So. I would just go on Google. This is easy way to come up with words in your own made up language, listeners. Go to Google Translate, translate English words into Latin, and then just mess with it until it looks how you want. So I have a um, concept book on the side that I was mentioning earlier. It's more futuristic, and I'm used to writing in sort of a not futuristic setting. Medieval. <laughs> Medieval. I don't know. I would, yeah, I'd call it that. But um, it's hard, and it's kind of the same way. It's um, hard in the way that magic is difficult because, um, especially if you're coming up with your own technological advancements, Science. Yeah. then it just doesn't. I don't know. It has to make sense to me. And some yes. people just, I don't know. And, um, I don't know. So, it's hard. I have, like, very little advice on it because I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. I wasn't saying, yeah, you're not good at it. <laughs> Sorry. I, um, but it's true. <laughs> well, see, when I originally, I was stuck in the mentality that if you have magic in your story, it has to be in a medieval setting. There can be no technological advancements, all that. But since then, I've I really fallen in love with the idea of meshing technology and magic in your books. And so now, my story is kind of like a... The technology is like steampunk level. And they combine it with magic. And I was a little bit inspired by this one book series that I I never finished it. It's one of those series that are not, like, all the books are not connected to each other. Right. It's, um, it's called The Edge Chronicles by Paul Stewart and Chris Riddle. And, guys, these books are gorgeous. They they're amazing. They're a little, they don't follow young adult norms nowadays, but they are gorgeous. They're illustrated. And at first when I picked up the books, I was like, why are these in the young adult section? They're illustrated. Um, it's by the illustrations are by Chris Riddle. He is a very talented, um, artist. Go look him up. Uh, but then I started reading and, they definitely deserve to be in the young adult section. They can be very grim, but wow, the world building there, it's sort of steampunk, sort of. It's like Treasure Planet, 
kind of. Mm. Do you remember Disney's Treasure yeah, Planet? Yeah. But then there's also wilds that are more medieval Lord of the Rings style. So it's really cool. And there is a little bit of magic. I love how Lord of the Rings is just our medieval pinnacle. Like every it time we is. mention something. Like yeah, Lord of the Rings vibe. literally Tolkien literally set the stage it's for amazing. fantasy. Yeah. Like every fantasy novel is a Lord of the Rings knockoff. He was the first. <laughs> He totally. he was the first to ever deal with that. Like we wouldn't have our concept of elves and dwarves that we. Do I know it's that's, so crazy. Yeah, it's used everywhere, and we have Tolkien to thank for it. Oh my gosh, I just remembered something that I probably should mention in the first episode. But let me just throw this out here. I just remembered. Oh my gosh, I am so just mortified at this. Oh boy, when I was very little, like way before I ever started writing seriously. I, you know, I was in my Lord of the Rings Hobbit stage, really loved Tolkien, and I decided to write a book. Luckily, I only got, like, a paragraph in, and it was going to be The Hobbit, but, like, I was going to get copyright struck, dude. It was going to be The Hobbit, but, like, everything was the opposite. And oh. I don't know how I was going to handle this, but, like, The Hobbits were giants. <laughs> what? And... I try to remember the main character's name because it was a ridiculous name, but, um, and, like, the main character wanted to go on an adventure, and, oh, like, wow. it was weird. Um, anyways, I feel like that might have fallen apart eventually. Oh, it would have. Um, it would have. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would you have instead of a dragon? Uh, a snake. A, sl- a, a slug. slug. A slug. A sea Ski. slug. Yeah. yeah. We were on the same wavelength. Okay. Yeah. We just caused the mic to peak. Um. <laughs> oh, um, something I, I, okay, so I actually do, I have, I feel like I have been, um, I don't know, throwing dirt on futuristic writing a lot and saying it's very difficult, which is true. Um, but I do like it because it's fun to play around with some stuff. Um, the setting of that book that I was talking about, one of the main settings, is a space-themed mall, which isn't conventional, but I oh. love it so much. And the main character works at this like space-themed smoothie shop. It's great. I love how, as a, as like a whole culture, mm-hmm. we have established that if it's going to be an old book, it has to deal with magic. Like, if the setting is in the past, it has to deal with magic. And if it's in the future, we have to have outer space. I have that Unless it's dystopia, and then... Mine is both, but okay. (laughs) Futuristic equals outer space. That's so cool. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, I love it so much. Um, yeah. Okay, um... I feel like we're starting to rabbit trail a lot. Maybe. <laughs> um, we didn't talk much about governments earlier. That's true. We got kind of rab- rabbit trailed just a little bit. Um, it's hard not to. I am the queen of rabbit trails. I'm... Speaking of queens, though. Oh, yes. Um, Good transition. Royalty, I think, is often used in medieval style. Often negatively. Yeah, we always tend to... I think that's probably just... I... America. (laughs) I think that's probably just our... 
conception of a monarchy. Yeah, <laughs> it's built into us. We're like, royalty is bad. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely fell along that route. Route? Route? Do you say route or route? It depends on the sentence I'm using. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think that royalty can be used, when royalty is the focus, often, it's, um, when it's the focus of the story, the royal family, it's often portrayed in a much better light. But then when the main character is from somewhere, like, is a peasant, yep. Yep. Um, then royalty is portrayed in a much more negative light. But, I I don't know, I don't really have royalty mm-hmm. in my book. My structure of the government is very strange. I Let my, me just lay yeah. this out. Okay, lay it out. Okay. So, like I said, I have about 10 different cities and they're all like independently governed by uh a sort of king not a king i think he's called like whoever it is is called like the chief of that place but then Mm. like their children are like the prince and princesses i think is what i typically do but then over all of that is my main city lumenvel and in lumenvel it's there's a council of uh, scholars, mm-hmm. and this council, they're the people that make the big decisions, they're in charge, and then in the center of the council, I have a sort of sovereign figure, and I don't want to get into all the dynamics of mm-hmm. that and what that sovereign figure represents, but they are supposed to be like, the head of everything, but not in a king way, more of a, like, peacemaker way. Like, I want that person to go among all the cities and make sure everything is peaceful and everything is being agreed upon. They're sort of like the representative of everybody. And then I have this council, and then under the council we have the little governors or chiefs or whatever you want to call them. So it's like a really weird and complicated government system, Mm -hmm. but I I really like it for some reason. That's great. Mine is um, much more... None of the towns in my world are necessarily unified. Um, it's they all have their own different differing ideas of what a hierarchy should be, um, which is interesting. There is a point in time where I was super inspired by the English Civil War. Oh yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, that is, I still have threads of that with um, kind of um, you know, I really like the idea of like oh um. There's a parliament, but the king doesn't want anyone to, you know, have representation in parliament, so he shuts down parliament, and it's bad. And I really liked that idea, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to base my main character after Oliver Cromwell. Oh, <laughs> wait, <laughs> Oliver Cromwell? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Give me a break, okay? It was it was weird, and I was, don't... Yeah. Who is Oliver Cromwell? So, he bled... Um, basically led a rebellion against Charles I, and he, Charles I, I believe, uh, one of the Charles's, and, um, dude ended up beheaded, Charles, not Cromwell, um, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> it's been a while since anything but American history and government yeah. has been pounded into my head. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do faintly remember that. Yeah. I think um, they said it very early on in literature class. But it was it's a super interesting, like, I was intrigued by it because you, it's, I don't know, it was something, when I learned about it, it was so unfamiliar to me because, like you were saying, I feel like, um, you know, we get a lot of American history, Civil War, Revolutionary War, World Wars drilled into our heads, but it seemed so different to me. And I was like, this is cool because, yeah. um, and so I really wanted to um, kind of base some premises of my book around that, but it didn't, I just have like one thread that's still there. Like it didn't work out that way, but I think it was, I don't know, I just think it's funny that I actually, like, sat down and I was like, I'm gonna base my medieval book after the English Civil War, and my main character is gonna be, like, Oliver Cromwell. I think that is a valid strategy, though, that you can look at history and take that into your world building. Definitely. It's cool. And, um, it does feel realistic, because if someone's like, oh, that's not realistic, you'd be like, well, study the English Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have to be able to back yourself up, especially when you're writing more historical fiction. Yeah. Um, and I think that's about all we have for today. Yeah, that's all. Let us know how you deal with world building. Let us know um, the types of fruit you have in your world. Yeah, <laughs> what, what kind of fruit do your characters eat? Um, <laughs> I actually, we um, finally lost that there in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening.